Well, tonight and uh, next week, I thought that we'd take a, a short break from Genesis. And in honor of the season, I, I'm not going to, these aren't Christmas messages, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about two people who were indirectly involved in the first coming of Christ. And they're both women. Um, they're both underappreciated in Scripture. We don't really hear too much about them. Uh, but uh, they both have something to do with the coming of Christ indirectly. And the first one is Rahab. So we're in Joshua chapter 2 tonight. Um, we'll start there. We'll go to another couple of places. But uh, let me just go ahead and read the chapter, and then I'm going to just make some comments on it uh, tonight. It says, Then Joshua the son of Nun sent two men as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It came about it was when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I have dealt kindly with you, that you will also deal kindly with my father's household, and give me a pledge of truth, and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours, if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, Go to the hill country, so that the pursuers will not happen upon you, and hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers return. Then afterward you may go on your own way. The men said to her, We shall be free from this oath to you, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which... You let us down, and gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be free. 
But anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be free from the oath which you have made us swear. She said, According to your words, so be it. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Now the pursuers had sought them all along the road but had not found them. Then the two men returned and came down from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they related to him all that had happened. They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before us. Um, I got to thinking about this passage this week because my Sunday school class is going through Joshua right now. And it kind of skips over this section. It kind of jumped from chapter 1 to chapter 6 uh, this past week. And I was thinking about all this stuff in between and, and Rahab and how her life is really a testimony of God's grace. Um and just a quick look at this shows us that um, she was a resident of of Jericho. In fact, her house, as we read, is on the city wall. And if you recall what, what we know about the ancient Near East, these walls would be of significant height and width. Um, and, and they would include walkways and buildings and, and houses, as we see here. Um, I wish I re- remembered all the details, but I once heard a, a series on Jonah and the, the teacher was giving us all these details about how just how massive and how complicated the, the walls that would defend that these cities were. And uh, this was a similar situation. Um, and, and Jericho is it's a significant city. It's part of the Amorite kingdom, which is not um, obvious when reading this. I Well, there are... The, the the Amorites are mentioned here, but it, it's not made specifically clear that Jericho is an Amorite city, unless we already know that. But we we do know that. Um, and and it was a pagan culture. It was given to violence. It was so bad that in in Deuteronomy twenty verse eighteen, God had marked Jericho out for destruction because of quote detestable things for their gods that they had done. So they were going to get it eventually, and. Rahab already, she lives in this city, but but she has this huge strike against her already because she's one of them. She is an Amorite, and if that's not bad enough, she's a harlot as well. She makes her living by selling her body in this wicked city to wicked people. Um, So her life is devoted to profiteering off of consensual sexual immorality, and yet God is going to save this woman, as we're going to see. But... uh, the setting for, for Joshua 2 is uh, Moses is dead. Um, the rest of Israel is on the eastern side of the Jordan River at this point, just opposite the city of Jericho. God has made Joshua the successor to Jericho. This is 40 years after they left Egypt, after the wilderness wanderings. Um, and now they're they're right here on the cusp of this land. That as we've seen in, in Genesis, that God has promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's the cause of those wanderings that, that we have to recall before we look at this more. Because if if we remember, 38 years prior to this, um, 
Joshua had been one of 12 spies who were sent into this land. And this was right before Israel was supposed to go in. Of course, God had his plan, and he knew what was going on all the time. But he and this other spy, Jacob, or um, not Jacob, Caleb, they come back with these good reports about the land and how we should go in. God's going to give it to us. But if you recall, and this is in Numbers, there were ten other spies with them, and they bring back the bad report. They're fearful. These men are giants. They're going to slaughter us. Paraphrasing, obviously. But... uh, the people fear going into the land because of these ten, and except for Joshua and Caleb, they're all judged because they they did not have faith in the Lord. Everyone except for Joshua and Caleb of that first generation that comes out of Egypt dies in the wilderness, and that st- sets the stage for this because Joshua once again sends spies into the land, but this time we don't have a clear command from God. God had told Moses to do that the first time here. Joshua just does it, but but it's different than before. Not a big deal is made of it, and only two are sent in. Uh, and, and they're done so secretly because Joshua doesn't want what happened before to happen again. He doesn't want the people to become fearful because somebody might be afraid. So he just sends two men in. And we don't we aren't told here who they were, but it's obvious Joshua trusted them. And so they go into this heavily fortified city, and since there's only two of them, they're able to infiltrate it pretty easily. Um, and there, you know, because this was a, an important city. This was a, a center of trade in the area. You have people going in, you have people coming out. So it, it's a good good idea and a good time to figure out what Israel is going to be up against and to scope it out. Um, and what better place to do that than on the the top of the city wall, where you can see probably more than anything else in the city you, in, in a house on top of the wall in a harlot's house no less you think about um you know Rahab's house is the ideal place for spies uh, because when you consider her business very few questions are going to be asked probably um well, strange men in her house. <laughs> yeah, yeah people who don't want to uh, you know to um, not sharing a whole lot of information so uh, Rahab probably opened her doors to these men, thinking they're like everyone else. They're to take advantage of her. Uh, she would be willing, but but no, they're on a mission not to satisfy their own flesh. Uh, they treat her most likely with a respect she's not accustomed to. Um, and so God gives these spies a perfect hideout. But that said, word does get out. Um you think about the kind of people who go into places like this, they're probably not the most trustworthy. So if they had any idea these were spies, they probably shared that. And eventually word got to the king and the king's men come along. And the king of Jericho himself sends word to Rahab to deliver the spies who've entered your house. But Rahab instead protects God's men. Now think about that. She's a harlot from Jericho and the king is wanting these men and she is acting out to protect these men instead of, and she's standing up to the king by doing so. We read um she hid them on her roof in stalks of flax that's a a plant used to make fabric and dyes and medicines and hair gels and soap. I I, I don't know much about it. That's what I've read though. It seems flax like is what you flax make linen linen out of yeah, flax seed, but the the fibers is made yes, linen is made. Okay. 
Well, and you have to take it and beat it and pull the strings out from the stalks. So there's a whole lot of beating and scraping going on. So okay. you get strings that then you do into threads that then are made into the cloth. Okay. Good to know. Um, well, that they had there. Um, she was probably used to hiding people up there for whatever reason. Um, From their wives. <laughs> it could be. This was probably not something that was new to her to do this. Um, misleading the king's men was probably something that was new to her. But uh, she may have done something like this before. She was probably accustomed to misleading people who may be asking questions about who was in her house. Um, but uh, she did not uh, give them up here. Uh, she she basically misleads the people uh, who were looking for them. That She tells them that they've left. They've gone out the city gates. Go out the city gates and go down the road and go find them. Go find them. Uh, and so basically she lies to, to protect these men. And of course, that's the ethical dilemma in Joshua 2 because there are. this is one of those places in Scripture where you see someone doing something like this to to fulfill a different purpose. And, of course, we know, and, and Israel knew by now, they already had Exodus 20, and it's repeated in Deuteronomy 5 that you, know, you, don't, you shall not bear false witness. But I seriously doubt the two spies... When the people asked them as they came in, "Where are you from?" I seriously doubt they told them the truth. Right, and and, and that that goes goes to the point where there are we do see times in the Old Testament where we, we see things like this. You know, we see in a military situation or, or something like that where these things seem to get a pass. Um, not that uh, God is. Uh, all condoning lying, you know, he he is truth. You know, Proverbs twelve twenty says, "Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Uh, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord." Verse twenty two. But those who deal faithfully are His delight. Um, the Scriptures tell us that God cannot lie, so obviously it's not part of His character, and it's not supposed to be part of our character either. But I don't think you know we need to get too bogged down in this question of why did she lie because again you, you, we have the precedent of the the he the um the midwives the hebrew midwives in exodus chapter one who protected the male children of israel including moses by not uh being completely truthful with pharaoh and they are never condemned for that in scripture and rahab by the way is never going to be condemned for what she did either in fact um you know, far from being condemned, she is commended for her faith. Um, so the question is, what would motivate a woman like Rahab, a harlot who will defile herself for money, what would motivate her to put herself in, in grave danger for two foreign spies? And the answer we see is in verses 8 through 10. And look at her words again. She says she knew... The Lord had given Israel into their hands. She knew the Lord. And, and notice L, small capital O-R-D. And as we know, that's the name of Yahweh. So this is not one of the Canaanite gods. This is not one of the Amorite gods. This is Yahweh we're talking about here. And she knew that Yahweh had given Israel into their hand. And that's an enormous statement that, that she's making there. In fact, 
she basically says that all of Jericho is on edge about Yahweh. We all know what what he did to to let your people cross the Red Sea forty years ago, um, and and so everyone in Jericho in Amorite country is on edge. Not only that, but they've also heard about what a situation that we read about in Numbers chapter twenty one, where Israel had sent messengers um, to Sihon, uh, king of the Amorites asking for permission to pass peacefully through their land. And he said, no. And he gathers up troops to fight against Israel, and Israel slaughters him. And they take all of his cities. After that, another Amorite king, Og, tries to do the same thing to Israel. Same thing happens to him. It says, Numbers 21, So they killed him and his sons and all his people until there was no remnant left him. And they possessed the land. So... Rahab said Jericho was so frightened. And by the way, this thing in Numbers, this would have been a lot closer to uh, to the time. This was not forty years ago, but this was just a few years, you know, before um, th- this situation in Joshua two. So, so Jericho is very much afraid for themselves. Uh, their hearts melted. No courage. The terror of you has fallen on us. Um, and so uh, Rahab follows up how Jericho responded with a personal statement of faith. Look at verse 11 again. For Yahweh your God, he is God of heaven above and on earth beneath. And that's an incredible thing for a Canaanite harlot to say because almost every other society in the ancient Near East was a polytheistic society, meaning they... They worshipped multiple gods. You know, this will become very evident when we get into judges and we see these dealings with the the, the Philistines and people like that, and it becomes very clear there. But um, here, he is God of heaven above and on earth beneath. And in other words, she's recognizing Yahweh as the supreme God. Period. The one true God, and. All of Jericho knows about him. All of Jericho knows about Israel. But she believes he's a real God. And and that's just a weird thing because she's not a Jew. And she doesn't have the Ten Commandments like Israel has received. And, and yes, her conscience probably condemns her for her harlotry and for lying and things. But she doesn't have the benefit that, that, that we have today or even that ancient Israelites had at that time of a codified law. Um, So she doesn't have Moses saying from God, you shall not bear false witness. She didn't have any of that. She's a sinner who at this moment, God is in the process of showing saving grace. So she acts in faith and that faith as immature as it was, bears immediate fruit. She receives the spies. She doesn't rat them out. And in fact, Hebrews 11.31, she's listed among the people who were faithful. She says, uh, the spies were received in peace by faith. And and, and what that implies is that she embraced their cause. Not just that she believed that Israel was going to win, but that she embraced their cause. Um, maybe, Maybe she was born again not long before this meeting. But finally, what we see here... 
is she believes Yahweh is God and how here is an avenue for her true faith to express itself in action. Um, and, and she's probably, if she's saved before this, it's probably not long before this because she's still being identified by Jericho as a harlot. That's what she's known for, but that's also what God is saving her out of, much the way when we get to Matthew, we see that Simon is still called a zealot, or Matthew is still called a tax collector. But God saves them out of those things, what they were doing to follow him. Um, that said, you know we're, we're reminded that we're not saved by the works we do. We're saved by faith. And, and works are not what give us the assurance of our salvation. Our faith is what gives us the assurance of our salvation. And the testimony of the Holy Spirit gives us assurance of our salvation. But the world knows we are Christ's disciples by our what our fruit, by what we do with our faith. Um, in fact, we read in the book of James chapter 2, Faith without works is dead, and that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And when when James writes that a man's justified by works, not by faith alone. He's not contradicting Paul, who says we're justified by faith and not works. What he's saying there is he's using it from a different perspective. He's saying we know those who are truly justified by faith alone because they do works which justify themselves to the world. I think we had that in a Sunday school lesson a while back. It, it said in that sense that it was like they're proven by their works. Yes, and and that's exactly the point. Um, the world doesn't know my heart, but they can see what I do. And, and that's the point. And, and, and one of the examples that James uses in that chapter to make his point is Rahab. In, in James 2.25, he says, In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? What he's saying is, is Rahab believed and she proved she believed to the spies by acting in faith to protect them. She trusted everything she had, everything she was, to Yahweh and not to the false gods of Jericho. She 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 trusted her life to him. And Jericho was a violent place. If she had been found out, she would have no doubt been killed. All of her family probably would have been killed right along with her. Um, so she knows the risk, and, and so she does this. Also, what what her works do here, what what her actions do, it repudiates her past, and it repudiates her people. Again, this was a military situation. Rahab knew the Israelites had uh, destroyed the king of Sihon and and Og, and total annihilation. And when they came to Jericho, she knew that they were going to totally annihilate again. Uh, so, you know, if she. Um, was putting her country first, and her country is Jericho. If she is is putting her country first, she would have turned the spies over to the king. But the, I mean, I don't. I'm not really trying to get into this too much, but it's a reminder to us that we've got to put God above our own country uh, always. Her allegiance is not to anyone but Yahweh. Uh, she, what she's doing here is she's now identifying herself with the nation of Israel. Um, they are the ones who believe in Yahweh. They are the ones who, who say he is the true God of heaven and earth. And now she is too. And so she demonstrates her new allegiance 
she's a new creation. Uh, you know, Paul writes, the old things pass away, the new uh, new things have come. Uh, and so now she's embracing her identity as a Yahweh worshiper. Um, she does ask for mercy. You know, the scarlet thread, you know, I won't, please uh, spare my family. She ties that scarlet thread out her window. And so when Israel returns, you know, what do we know? In, in Jericho, in, uh, in, in chapter 6, um, is, is where we see where Israel does come in. And uh, what, what that is, it, it's kind of a mirror of what Israel had gone through 40 years earlier. Um, God had commanded his people the night before they left Egypt to do what? To uh, cover the lintel and the doorpost with the blood of the lamb so that the firstborn might not be struck down. And God saved his people that night in the midst of judgment, the same way God had provided Noah salvation in the ark in the midst of judgment. And now he's providing Rahab a refuge in the midst of judgment. And we see that, and we also see about 1,400 years after this, God's going to provide a refuge for his people from the ultimate judgment through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, all these things in the Old Testament that we see these things every, from time to time in the Old Testament that point us to the refuge we find in Christ. So, what were the end results of Rahab's action? Well, to that, I want to turn to chapter 6. And I want to read to you from verses 20 to 25, right toward the end of the chapter. So the people shouted... And the priests blew the trumpets, and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there, as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. And they also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it, only the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had Joshua spared, and she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So, just as God gave uh, Abraham and Sarah a child, Isaac, in their old age, just to show he's God, um, and the one who fulfills his covenant with Abraham, here he has Israel defeat Jericho in such a way just to show he's God. We were kind of, you know, you read through what God tells Israel to do to defeat Jericho, and it borders on the ridiculous. You know, walk around the the city seven days, and on the you blow the trumpets, and <laughs> the wall falls down. And again, this is not even a wall made of of very sturdy block cement blocks. This is a massive undertaking that happened here. I, Think about a massive earthquake taking place that would probably have to happen for well, actually, some. It was probably built in such a way to withstand the minor earthquakes that they have that, in the area. And that's true, which again just shows this is not of man. Uh, 
Um, and they go in and, and, you know, we just read they, they destroyed everything except for the silver and gold and bronze and iron. Um, Rahab is protected. Her family is protected. And then there's that line at the end that several years after the defeat of Jericho, she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. This is probably being written right around the end of Joshua's life as he's recording this to, to pass on to the next generation, much the way Moses did with uh, with Genesis through Deuteronomy. But what do we see? Where as at first they were placed outside of the camp of Israel, Rahab now lives in the midst of Israel. So she had taken on a full identity as a as one of God's people, um, not by blood but by faith. And uh, what we see in the writer of Hebrews, she was not disobedient but obedient. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. And again, what does this show us? It shows us that true faith is marked by obedience to the commands of God. And so that's always something we've got to consider about our own life. Are we obeying the commands of God? And perhaps, you know, just kind of wrap this up, but the most remarkable inclusion of Rahab's name in the, in the, in the Bible comes actually in the New Testament. And... It's actually, I'll turn there. It's in Matthew 1. And um, it's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The first six verses of the New Testament say this. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon the father of Simon. Simon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. I'll stop there in the middle of six and... What's interesting about that is Matthew is a very Jewish gospel. Uh, of all four gospels, Matthew includes far more Old Testament quotations and allusions than the other three gospels. It's clearly written to show, uh, it, it would appear, it's clear to me at least, and, and, and many others who study this, that Matthew seems to have been written specifically to convince Jews that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is their Messiah, the one they were hoping for. But the inclusion of women into Hebrew genealogies was not common at all. Uh, in fact, if we go back you know, in our Genesis study, we've seen very few. Like the Genesis 5 genealogy, for example, Adam's offspring from Adam to Noah... There are no references uh, to to any of Adam's daughters, for instance. Uh, and so whenever we do see the names of women in genealogies, they, they do stand out to us. Matthew mentions five, four if you don't include Mary, include Mary um, which is remarkable in and of itself that this one genealogy has so many. But when you look at some of the women, it's even more remarkable. Um, Tamar is in the 
is in the genealogy. We're going to get to her in a few weeks in Genesis 38. But um, she bears twins by Judah in a less than spectacular um, circumstance. Uh, Bathsheba, I really don't need to explain that one. Um, so God doesn't exactly include females who have the best pedigree. Moab, or uh, Ruth is a Moabite widow, uh, so she's not even Jewish by blood. Um, and there's Rahab among them, also not a Jew by blood. And and here she becomes the great-great-grandmother of David, whom God is going to make another covenant with to say your descendant is going to sit on my throne forever. Jesus, Jesus as he enters Jerusalem the week of his uh, death, the triumphal entry, Hail to the son of who? David. Um, so from you know, Revelation twenty two sixteen is is six verses, the sixth last verse of the Bible. Son of David. So the beginning of of uh, Matthew, we see son of David. The end of Revelation, we see son of David. Very important title for Jesus, and Rahab is a big part of that. She becomes an Israelite, she lives in their midst, and her legacy is that she is literally in the family of Jesus, having been chosen by God from before the foundation of the world, not just to be saved, but to play a pivotal role in the history of God redeeming his people. Um, She's a harlot, but God makes her holy. And that's what God does for all of us. Um, I'm not a harlot. (laughs) Never have been um, in in that sense, but God makes me holy by saving me. God's made you holy from your sins by saving you, and that, that's what He does. And and so Rahab's faith in response to what God has done in her would be something we should all emulate. Let's pray, uh, Father. We thank you for the example of uh, men and women in the Bible that is before us. You tell us in First Corinthians that um, through through the writing of Paul that these things are given to us as examples. And so we have the example of Rahab before us. And we see even in the book of Hebrews how she is an example of faithfulness and of faith in you. And I pray, Father, that in the midst of our own sins, we would, instead of sinning, Follow the example of Rahab, of one who laid it all on the line because she believed that you are the one true God. And it's one thing to confess that with our mouths, Father. It's another thing to back that up with our actions. Rahab backed it up with her actions. May we do the same. And just as she played a pivotal role in the genealogy of Jesus, your son, May we play a pivotal role in the expansion of your kingdom through our faith in Jesus and our faithfulness to Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.